0: It kind of feels like we're in a forest, right? First of all I'm seeing trees and then you notice there are these gravestones everywhere but they're kind of hidden nature's just kind of swallowing it all Already lots of these gravestones are covered in ivy and there's these roots which have navigated their way around them and I wonder if we were here in 50 years time maybe we wouldn't be able to see them at all kind of cool. Yeah I think that's really cool. Nature always finds its way to I suppose
1: do its own thing. Even when we've tried to you know control it I suppose or allow it to not be present it always finds its way back and then flourishes. Totally yeah. And it's so wild here there's a lot of wild stuff growing and a lot of birds. I can hear the crow. I'm Chrisia and welcome to Get Burden, supported by Canada Water. During the series, we've been talking a lot about how nature helps improve our mental health and emotional well-being. Today, I want to flip it and talk about how we can look after nature in return. We hear a lot these days about
2: the climate crisis, but the natural world also needs protecting. The UK is one of the most nature-depleted countries in the world. We're in the bottom 10%. I'll be hearing about the biodiversity crisis and how wildlife can flourish in places
0: you'd least expect it. All of this death and the fact that this is a graveyard has given birth to all this life that wouldn't be here otherwise. And I'll be
1: talking about initiatives that aim to make our cities greener, wilder and better for people and birds.
3: A tiny forest is a Japanese planting method to fit a huge number of trees in small space. So 1,200 trees in the space of just two tennis courts.
1: And broadcaster, Nomo Taxis will be guiding you through another Get Bird in Mindfulness Meditation.
4: Spending just a moment to refocus on our breathing can be one practical way to rebalance and reintroduce the air our body needs to feel nourished and perhaps decrease our anxiety levels.
1: It's so important that we protect nature because without nature, there's no us. I guess that's the bottom line of it all. And saying that is a bit daunting. Because nature is being destroyed and not appreciated every single day. And nature's here All of us, even though some of us aren't here for nature or maybe haven't discovered how important it is to connect and conserve nature.
0: I normally get really lost when I come here, partly because I don't have a sense of direction, but also. I think that the best bits of this cemetery are the little winding paths that just go into nowhere and you, kind of, you see the most there. So that's my general approach when I come here. Phoebe Weston is a biodiversity writer for The Guardian. I went to meet her in one of her favourite nature spots in London. So this is Nunhead Cemetery. It's probably about four miles south of central London and it's a really overgrown Victorian cemetery and at the time this part of London would have been quite rural and they essentially needed more space for dead bodies it sounds quite grim Mm -hmm. the London churchyards were all just full of dead bodies at that stage Mm -hmm. and so they figured right there's more space out of town so they built these great cemeteries this was done at the same time as Highgate it's got a quarter of a million bodies in it oh wow yeah, doesn't feel like that. <laughs> it's quite nature-y and green. Is that a robin or a blackbird? I get really confused between robins and blackbirds, but there's a beautiful bird. It sounds like it's directly above us. Oh yeah, that's a blackbird.
1: I can see it perched on that branch. Just oh, let maybe we can move forward a bit. It...
0: Oh it's oh there it oh. is. Oh yeah, good spot. Oh, is there two of them? If you come down on your knees, there's another one. Like, oh, yeah. So I think maybe... A couple. A couple. <laughs> maybe that's what, that's what we were hearing before. What are some of the birds that are declining within the UK? So there was a report out recently which found that 50% of birds... I think we should go up there. 50% of birds in the UK are in decline but it kind of depends on like some birds are doing way worse than others so farmland birds have been really badly their declines are greater and this is because of the intensification of agriculture so if you're on a train going through the UK you're going to see loads of fields and often those fields don't have hedgerows and any kind of boggy bits that would have been great for farmland birds have been drained and there's often lots of use of chemicals so all of this intensification of agriculture is driving declines in farmland birds and some of them like the turtle dove has declined by 98% since 1970 so some of them are on the like teetering on the brink of extinction because of the loss of their habitat and then other ones like i think curlews had declines of more than 50% plover So lots of those birds are doing among the worst, I would say. And then if we think about where we are now, which is mainly in a woodland, woodland birds have typically done less badly, but the latest study showed that since 2015, 59% of woodland birds are in decline. So we're not protecting our birds, which is, I find, really sad when you come to a place like this I, and clearly you do as well, just love seeing birds. And it feels quite sad that we're making their life so difficult.
1: When I think about the nature crisis, it does also make me sad. I definitely think about the future, and future generations and as a parent it is quite daunting because you want better for your children and whatever you can do to do that you try to do it so it is a bit daunting that other people's choices and lifestyles and decisions can, can and will impact on your child So I feel that it's so important to give people the opportunity to connect with nature and build that relationship and see what nature has to offer because there's so much that nature has to offer. There's no worse for nature. I'm always in awe with nature because it's always given. I don't ever see nature taken and it's the complete opposite to what I suppose
3: humans do. There's lots of evidence for the physical and mental health impacts of green space, of biodiversity, of of access to the natural environment. But for me, I think it's actually deeper than that.
1: James McCash is a Labour councillor for Southwark in London. He told me about why nature matters in the city and how they are trying to protect it.
3: People want to feel like they are part of the world around them. And, you know, I'm a great admirer of urban architecture and I, I love living in, in London and in, in Southwark. But I think green space and the access to kind of trees and plants is, is so, so important. It kind of makes you feel, makes you feel alive in a way. And if you kind of zoom far out and then look at the world as a whole, well, we're living through a catastrophe, aren't we, in terms of the climate. And we have a real threat, but also a real opportunity to, to create a, a fairer and better world. And part of that is about cleaning up our air, cleaning up our streets and creating a, a world where we are at one with nature.
1: So what kind of ways are you doing that
3: then? Good question. So our aspiration is to be the first in a London borough to have 100,000 trees. I think technically, when we reach that threshold, um, so that we'll technically be classed as a forest. I mean, I love trees. When I was a kid, I loved climbing trees. I don't climb trees so much anymore. Now I'm in my 30s. But, you know, they provide shade. They help to cool um, the ground around us. They help dealing with flooding risks and all these different things that come from the climate. So, So that's part of it. Um, But more than just trees, we're looking at rolling out um, biodiversity corridors, thinking about how you can join up different parts of green spaces so that small insects and birds and things can can travel between those really, really easily. And we've got a planning requirement. So whenever one wants to build a a new development, so a new building, we try to encourage them to have swift bricks. So these are bricks that are designed to kind of support the swifts. As in the birds, in the habitat creation, essentially.
1: Oh wow, that sounds really cool. What other types of wildlife or wilding are you trying to kind of achieve? Especially with housing, for instance, how do you kind of successfully dedicate spaces for nature?
3: You're right; it's a huge challenge. So, in you know places like Southerton, but you know, in London as a whole, we have a very high population density. So the land we have is very, very precious. We need to use it well. And of course, we have got all these different competing demands. So you've raised housing. You know, the provision of genuinely affordable housing is so, so important. But so too is provision of community space and indeed green space. You know, we need to be cherishing our our natural capital, um, creating green open spaces and, you know, promoting biodiversity. So we're trying to do both at the same time, we're trying to recognise that we, we have a housing crisis, but that shouldn't be at the expense of the natural environment.
1: So you kind of spoke about land there and how land is used in the area. How how do you get local people to, you know, get involved with making some of the decisions around how that land is actually used, as you say, with nature and, you know, connecting with themselves as well as the community. how do you kind of
3: do that? I think that is such an important question and I think there's a real risk that people in a place like Southwark and inner London they see the world around them changing and they don't feel they can shape it. They think it's, it's something that's happening to them, not something that's happening with them and that's something we need to change. So one of the projects that um, we've launched very recently in the last year is the Southwark Land Commission where we've essentially brought together a wide range of different kind of interest groups, stakeholders. So it's major landowners. We also brought in community groups, you know, people who represent sections of the community, whether that's the voluntary sector or local businesses. And then lastly, we brought together some really interesting experts on land. And we kind of brought those different groups together to work out how we can use our land better for public good and more importantly, how we can genuinely empower communities to shape it. And it was really interesting, the priorities that have come out of the process. And the natural world, biodiversity has come out as one of those key themes alongside housing, the local economy and community and voluntary spaces. So one of the things I'm hoping we'll be able to do is find some plots of land and to completely turn them over, over to the community. What do you want there to be here? And I don't know exactly what they'll say, but I suspect that the natural world will be a part of it.
1: Wow, that sounds really good. Um, I want to be a part of that. Uh, you should
3: be.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, final question this podcast is about birding. Do you have much experience with bird watching? And if you do, do you have a favorite bird?
3: Okay, because, yeah, I need to be honest with you. I don't have much experience with bird watching. And I don't have a favourite bird. There's a number of birds I like. Um, I have a lot of crows outside my flat, which I think is a bit unusual. Maybe this podcast will be the moment in which I start to learn more about birds. What's your favourite bird?
1: That's cool. Um, My favourite bird at the moment is a parakeet. Ah,
3: South London parakeet.
1: Of uh, course. I guess what I'd say is I'm new to birding myself too, and I actually live in a flat, also, so maybe putting a bird feeder outside your window could invite some birds uh, closer to you and sometimes it's not always about knowing what the bird's called, it's sometimes about what I've found, just appreciating and listening to the dawn chorus for instance, or you know, take birds in.
3: That's a good tip. If I put something outside on my balcony that kind of attracts some birds, I don't need to necessarily know what they all are and be able to spot them all. It's just like being able to enjoy being there with the birds. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much today for speaking to me, James. Thank you.
0: This is a really cool spot in the cemetery. Because if you look through those trees, oh, wow. um, you can see central London and you can see St Paul's Cathedral. hmm mm-hmm. Yep, I can see it. Yeah. And beyond the other side, you can see Highgate Cemetery. Oh, wow. So this cemetery is built on a hill, and it was built at the same time as Highgate, which is obviously in North London, and they wanted you to be able to see the cemeteries from one another and also to have St Paul's bang in the middle. Would you be able to describe the nature crisis, yeah, the biodiversity crisis? So... The biodiversity crisis is how our lives are dependent on nature and lots of people aren't really aware of this but if we take two really simple examples of this the food that we eat Mm -hmm. lots of the food we eat is pollinated by insects the vast majority so if we don't have insects and we're reading all these studies about insects decline then we could get to the stage where we can't produce food in the way that we produce food now so if you care about food which obviously we all do you need to protect insects mm-hmm. and same if you think about around here we can see the soil 95% of food is grown in soils now soil people for ages just thought soil was dirt because it just looks like there's not a lot going on there and it kind of looks uninteresting but within the soil are these amazing ecosystems and it's really rich in biodiversity They call the soil the poor man's tropical rainforest. And if we lose soil biodiversity, then we lose our ability to grow crops and grow food. So again, our existence is dependent on nature, which we're sometimes calling it now ecosystem services. Mm -hmm. So the little services that nature provides us that means that we can continue to live. Mm -hmm. And we totally overlook them. And there's, there's really weird examples like the loss of mangroves in um, southeast asia means that coastal communities are less protected from storms from coastal storms and as we know with the climate crisis extreme weather is going to get worse and so we need mangroves and also coral reefs which again buffer the energy of waves coming into coastal areas so nature's helping us survive like we are part of nature and it's allowing us to live on this planet mm. and it's about making people understand and see that and and I also I think the story about nature conservation is a really interesting one because for a long time we hear about people often like old white men saying bird watchers going out and saying oh I love these birds and I love seeing that bit of nature and that bit of nature and it's kind of a weekend hobby mm-hmm. and it wasn't seen as something that we need it was just kind of a nice thing to have but now the science is moving on really quickly and it's telling us that not only is it really fun to listen to these birds and be in nature but we need this nature for our survival and it might not be you might not need a blackbird or whatever but a blackbird is part of a really complex ecosystem Mm -hmm. that is like our safety net on this planet
1: You said that so amazingly. (laughs) I'm even, I'm lost for words from how you explained that. that. I truly felt the passion and the, you know, the truth within that. I, I had to, you know, take a moment to really take it in because what you were saying was
0: really, really profound. Oh, thank you. And I think it's just so important to shift things like bird watching as a really great pastime but it's way more important than that Mm. it's really important and so people like you who are kind of championing wildlife it's not just about that individual bird, it's about everyone Mm. and I think that we need to make sure that people understand that which is kind of my job I guess, that's why I get up in the morning to like try and make people understand why the nature crisis matters (coughs) The health of the natural
1: environment is something that affects all of us and we need to work together if we want to protect it. The People's Plan for Nature is created by the people, for the people. It sets out a vision for the future of nature in the UK. I wanted to find out more about the project so I spoke to a couple of the people
5: involved. I'm Rebecca, I am from Oxfordshire
2: and I am a member of the People's Plan for Nature. I'm Kat Machen, I'm Head of Community Engagement Campaigns at WWF UK and my job for the last couple of years has been leading the People's Plan for Nature on behalf of WWF UK but also in partnership with National Trust and RSPB. The UK is one of the most nature-depleted countries in the world. We're in the bottom 10% for biodiversity and, and for, for losing our nature. And the nature crisis really impacts everybody. And so it's really important that everyone has a chance to say how they'd like us to solve it. So the People's Plan for Nature is essentially the public vision for what we should all do to protect and renew nature. Um, it was pulled together by 103 people that were part of the Citizens' Assembly but also about 10,000 people that contributed to a national conversation.
1: I really love that you're using the people as a driving force to essentially, you know, push this message. What is
2: this people assembly that you speak about and why did you choose that approach? It's a citizens assembly, a very specific way of bringing people together. And citizens assemblies are a really brilliant way of getting proper representation of the whole UK public. So what we essentially had was a mini public in the room. Um, we had people as young as 16 and as old as almost 80 from every region and from a whole load of different backgrounds. What we have got is a result is, is genuinely the people's plan for nature. And it, it really sets out what it is that people want to see. And the overriding thing that people want to see is nature included in decision making across the board.
1: Thank you for explaining that and I guess Rebecca's actually had that first-hand experience of what it meant to be a part of that people assembly. So I'd love to hear from Rebecca and can you tell us about your experience and what you did?
5: It was a really scary sort of idea come like on the way up but then being involved and being challenged on views that I was quite set in, it was, was really amazing. We had such a variety of people come and speak. We had a supermarket. Um, I think we had some local government. We had people like Thames Water. And they sort of gave their evidence talk to us. And then we'd discuss what we'd heard. At the end, after we'd done this across four weekends, we um, used all the evidence that we'd sort of put together, like our visions for the future, and pull these into the calls to action. I think I got very emotional. <laughs> would you say it affected you personally massively so not many people know i don't talk about it very often but i have been suffering with really bad mental health problems and i've become a bit of a recluse socially but when i'm doing anything for the plan it just gives me this this sense of purpose that just really just drives me and it just helps me just forget about everything and it's just it's given me some amazing opportunities I've been up to Parliament, to the House of Lords. I spoke at the Big One rally for XR on systems assemblies. I mean, these are all really scary things that I, you know, prior to the plan wouldn't have even dreamt of doing. But now it's just like, no, this is this is something that's bigger than me. Bit deep for that. <laughs>
1: no no problem go 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 as deep as you feel um it sounds like it was a a, a quite a journey you know coming together and thinking about actions for nature
2: Kat, what is the People's Plan? What are some of the things that you're calling for action for? So the People's Plan focuses largely on system actors, thinking about systems change. What is the role of government? What's the role of business, of uh, food businesses and farmers in particular? And also, how do we kind of make a role for local authorities and for charities alongside that? And of course, what is it that people and individuals and communities can do too? So it's this huge, huge vision. Um, so some really good examples of course to actions that have come out of the plan include overhauling our um, farming subsidy system in order to uh, make sure that nature is is prioritised in the way that farming goes ahead equitable access to nature is a human right and for that to be considered by the legal system but also the way that charities and NGOs can open their reserves to more people. There's calls to actions for the restoration of all rivers and wetlands which we're hearing a huge amount about in the news recently. So it's massive but it's also really very simple. What the public want is action, they want it urgently and they also want to see accountability. There's a huge piece here around the fact that we have laws in the UK that should protect nature And if they were effectively enforced, we'd have a lot more of it. So that's the kind of principle that sits behind the plan. Wow, thank you
1: for explaining that. That makes much more sense around what you guys are working towards. So my final question for you both is, how can we aspire and empower people to take action for nature?
5: So from from my point of view, I think is look at it on a very personal level. So we did an exercise about thinking about someone young in our life and what the future would look like in 50 years and that's what I keep in my mind I keep my niece and my nephew that are very little and I want to be able to protect and restore the nature so they have somewhere that they can grow up and they can have the same experiences that I did growing up and I would also say read the plan and find what inspires you and educate yourself, because the thing is, is that is once you read the numbers, you hear the numbers, that's when it's like... Well, it's actually a lot worse than I thought. Um, and I, th- I think for quite a lot of people, it, it's a scary, scary world out there.
2: I would say that... People are often so much more powerful than they know. It's really hard when you live and work in a system that is hierarchical, that has different power dynamics, to feel that you can make a difference individually. And there are so many things that you can get involved with if if all you have time for is getting out into nature and appreciating it more then that is that in itself is powerful the more people that experience and appreciate nature the more we can demonstrate a desire to protect it but you might also want to kind of consider how you can how you can aim your, um, your energy in places that that could have wider systemic change. So each and every one of us has an MP. Each and every one of us has a counsellor. These are people that work for us, and it can be quite scary to interact with those people, but you can write to them. You can go and visit them in their, in their weekly surgeries. You can talk to them about how concerned you are about this issue or, or areas that you would like to see be made better. And that agency is really important think about who you are as a person what connects most deeply to you and how best you feel you can contribute but there is power just in the everyday and and you should take a huge amount of inspiration just from that because there are people all over the UK doing incredible things and just being a part of that in itself is inspiring. I guess
1: that phrase of act locally and think globally is truly a impactful way to kind of take action to and, you know, just having that individual, personal kind of shift is also something that's life changing for not only the individual, but the people that that individual is connected to. Because I feel we are all interconnected. So thank you so much, Kat. And thank you, Rebecca. And it was lovely to speak to you both. Keep doing what you do. And yeah, sending love
2: always to you both. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks.
0: I think this would be a great place to be buried because you kind of are becoming eternal life through all these trees and stuff. Mm. This is kind of like a vision of life after death. Mm. Like, this is it. It's this, And this is what, if there were no humans, probably a lot of London would end up looking like this. Like, this is how it's meant to be. This is nature being where it should be without us interfering all the time. And this, to me, is a beautiful vision of eternal life.
1: Mm.
0: I find this so reassuring that this is what the world wants to look like. I don't know, it's... it's Like, how is it so beautiful?
3: Parakeets.
0: Yeah. I think the parakeet is my favourite bird. Uh, (laughs) I think they they screech too much for me. (laughs) That's why I like them, because
1: it's because it's the one bird call i always know and i get excited because every time i look they're usually not by themselves too
0: yeah 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 that's that's (laughs) so true they're like they're always in groups and they always look like they're doing something they're up to something yeah mysterious yeah mysterious yeah and they also look so out of place because they're bright green
1: I suppose coming together is a really powerful tool to create change in a different way.
0: I think one of the best things you can do is to get together with other people and getting together in ideally like local groups with people who also care about their local environment and working together because when you have people working together they can achieve so much more than individuals and I also think, and I've found this difficult is feeling really sad about what's happening to nature when you start to love nature you also start to realise what we're doing to it and that can be troubling and I know lots of young people struggle with really severe feelings of anxiety about what's happening to our planet and I think one of the best ways to try and like feel more hopeful and that you have more agency is to get together with other people. And you can do all kinds of things. It could be that you form a group that protests about a new housing development that is going to destroy a meadow or a woodland and you fight together because fighting as a group is better than fighting as an individual. Or you could say, we want our local park to have more wildflowers in we're going to work to do that or we want to create a community wildflower garden we're going to do that together so you can just do so much more when you get together with local people and I write part of my job is writing about people power Mm. and although the overall picture is the science tells us we should be really worried about what's happening the thing that gives me so much hope is seeing what individuals do like People working together can achieve such awesome stuff and that is, like, a huge ray of hope for me.
4: And for me too. Yeah. Well, <laughs>
0: people like you are really... It's so its so nice to meet people like you who are just doing stuff.
1: Thank you. Um, I agree as well. I'm really... Overwhelmed that I'm able to present on this podcast because I'm amaz- I'm getting to meet amazing people like you too, <laughs> and I'm getting to pick people's brains and have a better understanding of birds and nature and myself actually. And mm. I always talk about how it's so important to like understand ourselves too because I feel like it's all connected. Yeah. And yeah. The more we get out in nature, the more we are, you know, in our natural. States, uh, I feel like, is the more that we live a life of abundance, yeah, and like we heal as well because you know we all want to heal and we all want to live good lives. So, I yeah. think that's
0: I love that living a life of abundance because you can, like, mm, if you want to, you can
1: for sure. And we all, sh- we all have that birthright, yeah, and we all, you know, should take out that opportunity.
0: And it's kind of funny because it feels like. We're relearning some of the stuff that people, humans just implicitly in the past would have like understood and felt a part of and we've become disconnected from it and now people like you are kind of relearning how to become part of that world again. Um, And if you think about all of human history, we're in a really weird moment of time where we somehow think we're above nature and it's... It's so unsustainable, and we really need to relearn how to become part of it.
1: That's nearly it for this episode of Get Burden, and for this whole series. Before I go, it's time for one final meditation with broadcaster Namon Metaxas. Wherever you are, just sit back and relax and notice what's happening around
4: you. Hello, it is Namone here with you, broadcaster, DJ and integrative psychotherapist. And I've been joining you and Kwazia here for us to take a moment's pause with these mini meditations designed to bring our awareness to our surroundings. To take just a few moments to tune back into our bodies and minds and our surroundings to try and find a bit more space. And maybe bring awareness to and soften our response to, in some cases, the anxiety that surrounds us daily, especially concerning the environment. Worry has been mounting for some time now about climate inactivity, the speed with which change needs to happen and people could do with changing their habits to affect long-term impact to our planet and to bring about an increase in biodiversity and well-being for all of us living on Earth. As we've been seeing through these mini-meditations, the very act of pausing can bring greater awareness of our own personal environment. But increased awareness about the wider collective environment can be overwhelming. It can be a very real feeling of lack of control and people respond differently to that. It can trigger anger, overwhelm, anxiety, sadness, can be demotivating and it can also trigger manic activity, lots of doing. Everyone will have a different response and there is no right or wrong to this. When we feel overwhelmed, it can be hard to find our ground, even to breathe. We might find ourselves holding our breath and then it's harder to look after ourselves, after others and our environment in those moments. The very act of breathing is how we take care of the inside of our bodies. A restriction to that intake may mean we limit the amount of oxygen coming in and there could be all kinds of effects on our health and well-being as a result. Spending just a moment to refocus on our breathing can be one practical way to rebalance and reintroduce the air our body needs to feel nourished and perhaps decrease our anxiety levels. So if you can find a comfortable spot to stand, sit or just a comfortable pace to walk at whilst you're listening to this. Paying attention to the contact that you make with the ground as your feet meet the earth and the earth comes back up to support you in this moment. If you are sitting, you might want to close your eyes. If you're walking, I suggest you keep them open with a soft focus, just so you can keep an eye out for any obstacles. Take a deeper breath in. Noticing any areas of tension in your body and just that, noticing, not judging or trying not to judge. And then when you've taken enough air into the lungs, notice the pause and begin letting all the air out of your lungs. If it helps, imagine the air traveling up the back of your body as you breathe in. Over the top of your head as you pause and then down over the front of your body and out around your pelvic area as you breathe out. And continue to deepen your breath and bringing attention to your breath in this moment. And of course, don't forget, this might not be the right time or the best time for you to pause and focus on your breathing. It just might not feel comfortable. And in some cases, it might feel like too much right now. If so, then just try and notice that. Don't fight it. Try not to judge it. There is no right or wrong about this, and when your mind wanders, as it will, to that drill in the distance, the conversation on the next bench of the park you're in, just see if you can bring your attention back to your breath, breathing in, and breathing out. Can you hear as you breathe in? Any bird song you notice accompany you in this moment of just taking a few breaths to tune back into your body and letting more air in to look after yourselves in times of anxiety. We know that hearing birdsong can have a positive effect on our mental health and well-being, as can focusing on breathing and grounding ourselves when we feel anxious. And it might be easier to pause, bring awareness to the environment and the care we can take of it, and to allow a bit more space to hear the birdsong and appreciate our natural surroundings than we think. Thanks for listening to this series of mini-meditations for Get Birding. I've been Nimone, broadcaster, DJ, and integrative psychotherapist, and you'll find me broadcasting on BBC Six Music across the summer and more of my mini-meditations for everyday life on my Mixcloud page.
1: You've been listening to Get Birding, a Peanut and Crumb production, presented by me, Kwisio, also known as City Girl in Nature. My producers for this episode were Anand Jagatia, Jesse Lawson, and Jude Shapiro. Get Bird in Series 3 is sponsored by Canada Water, imagining a new district for central London. If you've liked the series, please leave us a review, shout about it on social media, and tell your friends to listen. You can find me on Twitter at CityGirlNature. Until next time, bye!